This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. I'm curious, and I'm going to ask you this right off the top. Both of them are bad losses. We understand. Is the second one worse than the first one? Uh, to me, the first one's worse because it felt like you had a chance to win that game. I know they made it close here in the end, and Judge's home run was uh, was beautiful and, and a great thing to see. But, you know, down five runs, they've not, I don't think they've rallied from five runs so far this year. So that one I never really felt like they were going to win the game. When you get the hit from Kinder Falefa that you get in the ninth inning of game one and you tie up the game and you think, all right, we got the bullpen all lined up off the all-star break. Maybe we get into extra innings. Our bullpen should be better than their bullpen and uh, it didn't it didn't play out that way. So to me, game one is the more frustrating game, and uh, and then to see Herman go out there and not really give you much of a chance in game two, uh, not what you wanted to see. All right, so I'll give you my warped way of thinking. Okay. okay. Not as a Yankee fan. Obviously, for me, the first game was tough because the third inning decided that game for you. Okay, yep. you get a key hit in that third inning, we're not even talking about whatever we're talking about. Whatever happened in the ninth inning wouldn't have happened because you'd have won that game. For me, the problems you've had scoring against this pitching staff, for you to finally get some runs in this game uh, where it had been so bleak all day, I just thought, listen, I know you didn't have a chance, but, I I mean, the Astros didn't think so because Dusty Baker was huddling out to that mound to make that pitching change. So for me, the fact that you were able to get some run production against this staff had to be a little bit encouraging. Uh, you know, it, it almost feels like the game was already over by that point, mm-hmm. and it makes it, it makes it look better in, in the in the final result being seven five. But you know, once they get that two run home run off JP Sears, it didn't feel like it, at that point it was like, all right, we're not winning this game. That was my my feeling. We're probably mm-hmm. not going to win this game. Uh, and you know, so to get the three run home run from Judge was nice. You did get the tying runs on base. So I guess there's something to be said there. But that mm-hmm. one, to me, is not as frustrating as the first game. The first game, yeah. because – and the other thing is, when you, if you win the first game, then you're kind of playing with house money in the second game. All of mm-hmm. a sudden, I wouldn't be so upset at Herman going out there and struggling the way they did or the Yankees not scoring any runs until late like they, like they did. So um, that first game, to me, is the more frustrating loss. Now, here's the question I had in my mind, okay? And this is probably – going to be maybe the first time that I've made this statement all season. And once again, you're still 102 games over 500. Yeah, we still got a little bit. Yeah, we still got a little bit. But here's the question for me. Gordon, um, why are you so adamant in resting your guys coming off the All-Star break? Well, like that's one of the things that's frustrating to me is that it almost seemed like the Yankees really weren't concerned about these games like they'd like to win them obviously they're they are games that they play they're games that count uh you would think that the fact that they are playing the astros would be more important or the fact that this could decide home field come a playoff series between the yankees and astros you would think that that would carry extra importance but when you're resting Giancarlo stanton in game one and um and donaldson in game one and then lemayhew and rizzo in game two when you're already throwing Herman out there and you know you're short in the bullpen there as well, it just um, I'll be interested to see what Aaron Boone has to say about that. Now, I'm not putting it on Aaron Boone. I'm no, sure no, it wasn't no. Aaron Boone who said, hey, you know what, let's rest these guys for this doubleheader. But it's a, very, uh, it's a very puzzling thing. Because remember, earlier this year, Aaron Boone was talking about the Blue Jays games and how those games, because they're in your division, they almost count for twice as many games because they're against teams that you're going to be battling all season. Now, this was very early on. But then he would later say, well, you know, I'm not going to just rest everybody against the Astros. Well, against the Orioles. That was back when we thought the Orioles were going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, it doesn't line up. Like, either these games are more important or they're not more important. I think that the games against the Astros are more important. Clearly, the Yankees don't agree. Yeah. Because, I mean, and especially coming off of three, this is the All-Star break. <laughs> right. I mean, what are we talking about? And then, yeah. but I heard them say, you know, we're possibly getting in late, to go to Baltimore for the weekend. And listen, I understand Baltimore is a very hot team, finally over 500, as is everybody in the division. But, Gordon, this is the Houston Astros. And yeah. for me, especially, okay, especially with you looking at your pitching staff in the doubleheader, Okay, Montgomery needs all the help he can get. He pitched a great game. You did not lose the game because of him. 
but you never score runs because of him with him on the mound. So why would you not have all your offensive firepower in that game, knowing that you don't know what you're going to get from Herman in the second game? You have no clue. It, it's uh, very puzzling. I, I can't say that I I understand it. I can't. I definitely don't agree with it. Um, to me, you get that first game, and then if you want to rest guys in the second game, yes, by by all means, go ahead, rest guys in the second game. But that first game. That you're coming, or as you said, you're coming off the All Star break. Everybody's rested. Everybody, you know, like nobody's made a cross country trek in a car. I mean, you know, it's just um, look. At the end of the day, you got to keep guys. I get it. You got to keep guys healthy yes, for the long do. haul. This is not the season. These are not the playoffs. But yeah, it's it's a little disappointing when you you know you're going to struggle to score runs. You always seem to struggle to score runs against the Astros, especially there. That you would rest, you know, four prominent players. In two games. It doesn't make any sense. 1-800-919-3776. Go to the phones. Tom's in Carteret. Tom, start us off on ESPN New York tonight. Hey, Larry Gordon. How you doing tonight? Hey, Tom. What's going on, pal? Uh, just these two, this, this doubleheader today. Why why would why would they sit these players uh, right right after the All-Star break? It just seems like pretty crazy to me. I don't know. Just put them in there. They just had a long break. Yeah, it would seem that way, right? I mean, uh, is Giancarlo Stanton all tuckered out from from the from the All Star game, from uh, you know winning the MVP of the All Star game? I don't know. It's uh, it's very strange to me. Is is um, Lemayhew's just he hasn't done anything? He's he's been completely rested. Uh, Rizzo's completely rested. So I don't I don't know. Uh, yeah, very odd. Donaldson, um, also, too. also, also, do you, do you think the Knicks will actually? Do you think Donovan will be a Nick by the beginning of next week? Beginning of next week. I don't know if he's going to be there by the beginning of next week, but Larry, it, it just feels like that things continue to, to move in that you direction, know. don't you think? Yeah, they do. As a matter of fact, there's a uh, host out in Salt Lake who says the deal is done. It's going to be announced. Uh, he said on Twitter it's going to be announced uh, in a couple of days. Didn't say who with whom, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, there's all kind of speculation that it's that it's mostly the Knicks. It's either the Knicks or Miami, and you would lead – you would think New York, Gordon, because they got all these draft choices. Now, unless Miami has got a three-way deal where they made a deal to get some more draft choices to send them to uh, Utah because they would have the better regular players to put in that deal. They just don't have the draft choices. So the question becomes, what does Danny Ainge, we are led to believe that Danny Ainge wants draft choices more than he wants regular players. So we have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, and it just feels like, uh, again, maybe I'm not paying attention to everything because I'm more Nick-centric, but mm-hmm. it, it, I have not seen – this would usually be like when there's a player like this and, and there's one team that seems like they're the front runners. by this point, like a week after the initial reports are and talk is, there would be other reports of, well, you know, watch out for this team or watch right. out for that. It doesn't feel like there's been any of that. It feels no. like it's all focused on the Knicks, and it's just a matter of time when that gets done. Yeah, I agree with you. Gordon, I got to tell you, this AFC, this is this conference for many years has not been as good as the NFC. It, it, this is this is this might be the year. I mean, the quarterbacks alone, right? Oh. I mean, the amount of quarterbacks in the AFC now, it's uh, it's deep. And even with expanded playoffs, uh, you know, outside of I don't even know, is there a team outside of maybe the Bills and the Chiefs that can say for sure? Nope. I don't. Maybe not even the Chiefs, right? Maybe no, the maybe Chiefs not. take a step back. I mean, there's plenty of people say I don't agree with that, but yeah, it's going to be wild this year. It is. And, and, and speaking of, of Kansas City, how how will they respond without Tyreek Hill? Okay, because he he opened he opened up a lot of doors, Gordon. You know, you had to put double coverage on him, maybe triple if you had talk about safety help over the top. <laughs> you had to have safety help over the top with them. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's a big change to make, uh, and they, they've made it. And, I mean, they knew what they were doing, right? It's not like yeah. he left as a free agent or anything like that's that. Right. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's no better quarterback to have on your side than Patrick Mahomes, but, yeah, that's a big loss. So, we're up until then, when, jo- when Samini joins us, we're talking about the Yankee doubleheader loss to the Astros at 1-800-919-3776. All right, Gordon, let me try to help you with some positives. All right. Um, Chapman and Loisega. Yeah, though they pitch they pitched pretty well today. Yeah, uh, I mean that are those are positives. Uh, I, the only thing I would say is with w- the way they have struggled at times this year, um, 
I'm going to need to see a whole lot more before I'm comfortable sure. with either of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, there's positive. To me, the biggest positive is okay, if okay, you okay. are a Yankee fan, and I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of them out there right now, that mm-hmm. they want changes. Angry. Right? They're at, right. They immediately go to – in the five stages of, uh, of loss, they go immediately to anger, and they stay in anger. Let's go Yankees. Right. So – if you're one of those angry Yankee fans that wants changes made, we, we are not a complete team. We got to make trades before the deadline. I would simply say if there's ever going to be something that happened that would force the Yankees to go make a big, not just a minor little tweak here or there, but a big move, this would be along those lines, losing two games to the Astros like you mm. lost two games to the Astros. The fact that the, the offense again until late, didn't really do a whole lot in the afternoon and in the evening. So I would think that that would be the one positive that I would take out of getting swept at the hands of the Astros. If you want to see Joey Gallo off the team, if you want to see an extra bat in the lineup, if you want to see another starting pitcher, if you want to see the Yankees make that big move for Juan Soto or somebody else, this is the type of stuff you need to see. That it's not going to because if they went in there and they swept this doubleheader and they played like they did in those last two games against the Red Sox, the Yankees would be right, rightfully could say, well, why do we need to make any changes? Look at the mm-hmm. way we're rolling through this season. Look at the way we rolled over the Astros, losing these two games. Maybe if there's ever thing, anything ever going to change their mind, this would be it. All right. So are we now looking at this team needing another bat? I mean, I can't believe it, Gordon. You, your your run differential is almost plus two hundred. Uh, but are is there a diff, another bat, a different type of hitter that you need to be in this lineup with your eye on facing Houston down the road because you understand that their pitching is outstanding. They limit you with the amount of runs. The starters are good. They kind of go deep, and then the bullpen, they piece it together because their starters have to go – their starters go pretty deep. So with the all-star break, is that what you're looking for, another type bat? I think you have to add another bat. I mean, if you're going to make any change, I mean, the reason the Yankees have struggled in the postseason uh, over the last five years since getting to within one game of the World Series, it's been that the offense has not clicked at the same rate that it has in the regular season. They have not come up with big hits at big times. So there's no, if, if we're all in agreement that there's no way in God's green earth that they can have Joey Gallo taking up any at bats in the postseason in a starting role. Well, then that means you probably need to go out and get another outfielder. Go get another bat. I mean, I I get that, you know, they spend a lot of money. They have a really good team. It's not about the regular season. It's about making, giving yourself the best chance come the playoffs to be able to capitalize offensively and score some runs because that has been, that's why they can't get past the Astros. They have not been able to score enough runs. You know, everybody has focused on Joey Gallo and I understand why, but Gordon, let's be fair. Uh, Donaldson has not exactly hit 400. No, he has not. No, he has not. Absolutely. But, I mean, he's a lot closer to league average, right? I mean, if you're just looking, I'm not even saying like the Juan Sotos of the world or the Josh Bell. I'm just talking about a league average guy that can come up here and get a base hit every once in a while because Joey Gallo has not proved. I mean, he has been a minor league player and he has gotten plenty of chances. I understand why the Yankees made the move that they did. It was not a move that I liked at the time. It has looked, it has not aged well. But there's no way that if you are, if you are serious about winning a World Series, you cannot be carrying a guy like that and giving him regular at bats. So if he's not going to be starting every day, it's nice that Aaron Hicks has done what he has. But I think you'd still need another bat in this lineup because I think there's still some concerns. You know, Kiner Falefa is not. I know he had the big hit in the, in the first game. He's not really an offensive run producer. Uh, Donaldson has had his struggles. Trevino has had some big hits, but overall is it's there more for his glove than for his bat. So I think that, yeah, if the Yankees are looking to add something here before the trade deadline, absolutely they should be in the market for an outfielder. It's not, it's not hard to go find that. They should be able to go and, and find somebody who can play the outfield every once in a while and be a DH every once in a while. Do you feel as strongly as apparently they do, according to published reports, about not going for Benintendi because he's not vaccinated? 
Well, I mean, I, I don't, I, you know, that opens a whole can of worms. Uh, I, I, ben Attendee is fine as a player. He's not the guy that I'm like, oh, my God, you got to go get right. that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would be fine. You know, lefty bat, can put the bat on the ball, has some power. I, mean, I prefer a little bit more power than he has. Gotcha. Okay. But, you know, I mean, that would be fun. I'm just, just give me something league average. Just give yeah. me something that's, that's better than what I have. Yeah. Now, the Yankees should be looking to make big moves. This should be the time where you're looking to, to, to put, it, you put yourself over the top, right? Like, you had this amazing regular season. Go out. It's not about three years down the road. It's not about a prospect who's going to translate, you know, in 2025. It's about winning this year and what's available this year. Go out and make some moves. Yeah, you have to because here's what you're seeing. You're not good enough right now to beat the Astros. Consistently, you're not. No, you're not consistently. I mean, look, they played very close games. They played two close games today. Uh, the, the the previous five games, they played very. But I don't want to. I don't want to bank on close. I don't no, want to bank. You want to win, and, 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 right? And, and the other and the guys that are out there that you you know get talked about as maybe being maybe none of them get moved. That's possible. Mm-hmm. But the chances are that some of these guys are going to get moved before the trade deadline, and they're going to go to teams that you might face either in the American League playoffs or in the World Series. So there's no reason why you should be holding back. This is, this is go for broke time. This is damn the torpedoes. This is the time to put yourself over the top. And uh, we, we shall see. we got a couple of weeks here before the trade deadline comes. But um, this, that's the only positive I can take. That if the Yankees were sitting back in any way and thinking, yeah, you know, we really don't need to make any moves. Losing two games, the Astros should make it clear to them they still need to make some moves. According to ESPN Stats and Info, Info, Yankees finished their season series against the Strolls with a 151 batting average, lowest by the Yankees in the season against a single opponent in franchise history with a minimum of five games. And to share your frustration, Gordon, this is just like 2017. You just can't seem to find a way to consistently beat them in big spots. So if, if you're Cashman and company, listen, you worry about what Judge is going to do later. You have to get a bat that's a batter, a guy that's going to put the bat on the ball, that's going to play great defense in the outfield because you have to win the World Series this year. You have to. It, it is a complete failure with as dominant as you've been. And listen, I understand there's always one team, right? There's always a team that gives you trouble, even in the great years. There's always a team. But, Gordon, it can't be that team. Like, like, that's the team it can't be to give you trouble again. Yeah, uh, and and you just take a look at the, some of the opportunities they had that first game. I think it was the third inning. They had the bases yeah. loaded, nobody out. Uh, as great as Matt Carpenter has been, he's a nice piece. I'm not telling you that, that you have to, you know, get somebody to replace him, but uh, are you relying on Matt Carpenter? Is that what we're banking our hopes on? You know, that Matt Carpenter is going to continue to go out there and do what he he's done up. so far? <laughs> I mean, you know, like those are the type of things like, yeah, it's great that he's doing it and maybe he will continue to do it, but I'm not banking my hopes on that, that that's going to be the case. We'll take a breather. Calm our nerves from baseball. I, I, need, I need a breather, Larry. Talk a little football with Rich Samini. And the flight deck. That's next on 98.7 ESPN. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. Hi, Rich. How are you? Hey, Larry. How you doing? Getting ready for some football? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I know you can't wait. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, the vacation is just about over. Yes, it is. So, Rich, um, top three stories you're looking for in training camp this year, off the top of your head, top three. Well, I think the top three storylines are, are, uh, you know, with Zach Wilson, just to see how much he's improved over his rookie year. We know he's bigger. I mean, he, he bulked up his body, you know, to try to withstand some punishment as the season goes on. Uh, but does he know the offense better? Uh, certainly the coaches are saying that, but we have to see it on the field. I think another storyline, of course, is uh, number 77, Mr. Mackay Beckton, and to see what kind of shape he comes into training camp. Uh, we know today he was placed on the physically unable to perform list, and that's really just a routine thing. Uh, all players that were coming off injuries at the end of last year generally start on the pup list. That doesn't mean he's out for a long period of time. He actually can be activated at any time. But it'll be interesting. You know, the first practice is on Wednesday. Uh, 
be interesting to see if he's out there. Uh, coach is very eager to see if he's in good shape. And then I, I would say the third storyline is just all the rookies that got people so excited during the draft. You know, those three first-round picks and plus the second-rounder, Brees Hall, who just signed a couple of days ago. I think everyone is really curious to see just how much these rookies can c- contribute immediately. Yeah, Rich, it's Gordon Damer. I was going to say about the ro- the rookies. I mean, everybody said that the Jets won the draft. They had an amazing draft. Is there one of these guys that you are looking at, you know, and want to see up close more than 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 others? Well, I mean, I don't know if I want to single. You know, I'm really curious to see Brees Hall because in the spring we saw all all the rookies, but there was really no contact in the spring. It was just a passing camp, basically, is what it was. And so we really didn't get to see Brees Hall do much except for catching the ball. And he actually caught the ball out of the backfield better than I thought. Um, He's a really smooth, fluid receiver. And I think he can be a three-down back because of that receiving ability. But uh, once they start with some contact and practices, you can see more of his running skill. Uh, Certainly when they get in the preseason games, we can see that running skill. Uh, when players are actually tackling him. So that may be the one guy I'm really curious to see. All right, Rich, of course we're going to talk about the quarterback and and Zach Wilson, the offense, a little bit. But I want to start defensively because the opening game is Lamar Jackson and company. And so this is a defense that I don't have to tell you, Rich, you saw every game. They were brutal last year. Uh, Tough against the run. Uh, Pass rush was, you know, very inconsistent, almost non-existent. What what can uh, what can we expect from this Jet defense this year? Is it going to be improved? Well, you would think it has to be, right? I mean, they finished thirty second in pretty much every category, and um, they do have better talent. You know, they went out and they made some key additions. I think the secondary will be so much better this year with uh, with Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed and and Jordan Whitehead. The secondary is going to be head and shoulders above last year. Linebackers are about the same, and, you know, the defensive line will be uh, better and deeper. But you mentioned Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, and, Larry, that's just such a tough opponent for a team to prepare for because not only do you have the greatness of Lamar Jackson because he can just do just about anything with a football in his hand, and that's so hard to prepare for. But their running scheme – You know, their gap scheme is is different than what other teams do, and it's really hard to prepare for. And actually, the Jets have been running – their defense has been facing some Baltimore running plays. Even in the springtime, they started preparing for certain Baltimore run concepts and gap schemes and what they like to do with the ball. And they started as far back as – I think I remember their defensive coordinator, Jeff Ulbricht, saying in May that they were already – in, in the walkthrough periods during minicamp, we're already walking through some plays that Baltimore was going to run. And to me, that struck me because usually you don't hear coaches admit that they're working that far in advance on the first opponent. Rich, I'm sure you have been here for with the Jets for many head coaches. I don't know which, which one you go back to, but uh, with Robert Sala, is there something that you're looking forward to in year two you know, having a little bit of experience now as a head coach that you are looking for to see from Robert Sala as you go into year two? Results. I mean, last year was... <laughs> that would be nice. I think, I, I, yeah, I think last year was really more of a player development year. And, uh, you know, and they played a lot of young guys. And, and some of those young guys are going to be back playing this year, and a bunch of them are not, you know, who just they weren't up to it. And so, you know, you want to see more results. I think certainly we talked about the defense. Robert Sala came here as a defensive guru. We have not seen that yet on defense. I mean, they they played a little better toward the end of the year, but not much. And so you want to see what that guru reputation is all about. So I want to see more of that on the defensive side of the ball. And I just want to see how he manages Zach Wilson this year. Last year was a total honeymoon. I mean, it was really – Look, it was Zach's honeymoon. It was Salah's honeymoon. And so I think the mistakes were almost expected and they were tolerated by fans. But this year, I want to see if he has a tighter leash uh, with Zach. I want to see if he holds him to more accountability. Last year, there was really no accountability 
for Zach because you knew that he was going to make a bunch of mistakes, and they were willing to, to roll with those mistakes because he was a rookie quarterback. So I want to see a higher level of accountability for the quarterback this year. And so I'm going to follow up on that, Rich, and we're talking to Rich Samini, covers the Jets for us on ESPN.com, Hardesty and Damer until midnight. Let's follow up on that, Rich. Is he going to be, he being Robert Sala, a guy who will, you know, as Rex did, step in on the headset and say, hey, no, 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 we're going to run the ball in this case. No, no, we're not passing. We're going to run the ball. How much do you think he's going to be more aggressive and kind of rein in, maybe in, in, you know, rein in his defensive and offensive coordinator? Uh, well, I think that a question applies is most interestingly toward the defense because that's his area of expertise. And I thought there were a couple of points last year where maybe he would step in and, and take a little bit more of an active role in the defensive operation. But he basically did not. Uh, he let Jeff, Jeff Ulbrich run that show last year. And offensively, Solid just does not really get involved in the offense. He, he leaves that up to Mike LaFleur. He trusts Mike LaFleur implicitly. Now, I think Mike LaFleur did a much better job in the second half of the year, and I think most Jet fans would agree with that. It was pretty bad early on, but he, too, was a rookie, so there was a honeymoon for him as well. And so I think Mike really settled in and, and really found a found almost like a swagger that he developed toward the end of the year, calling a lot of a gadget plays. And, and so I, I think Sala is going to stay out of the offense. I really do. Uh, I think he knows what kind of offense. Lafleur knows what kind of offense that Sala wants to run, and they do want to be run heavy. But uh, but yeah, I think more. I think I'm more curious to see how he handles the defense if the defense does not improve. Rich, there's been a lot of talk on on our station about the Jets' win total. Vegas has made the Jets' win total five and a half this year. Um, some people say that's you know way too low. I think it's the most bet. Uh, over-under total yeah. in terms uh, of all the NFL teams. Do you have an expectation, what you think would be a fair expectation for the Jets in terms of wins this year? Uh, well, in May, when the schedule came out, I picked them to go 7-10. and 10. I, So I, I think that's a fair, a reasonable expectation. Um, five and a half seemed a bit low for me, but, yeah. you know, Vegas tends to know these things that we don't know. And, you know, but I, I find it, very interesting recently reading a lot of the uh, you know a lot of these lists come out and you know Jeremy Fowler our ESPN uh, NFL writer you know surveyed 50 scouts executives coaches and to formulate the best players at each position and there was not one jet player listed in the top 10 at his position in the league so and it tells you what the people in the NFL think of the Jets roster right now I mean they had a couple of honorable mentions like CJ Mosley and and Lake and Tomlinson, but no player cracked the top 10. So that, that tells me that there's, there's an alarming lack of talent on the team right now. Uh, I was not surprised by those results. Uh, I think it would be more alarming if a year from now we're, we're having the same conversation because there should be one or two players in that list next year. So I think the general perception of the league, around the league of the Jets is that they are a bottom four or five team in the league. And that's why the five-and-a-half win total probably uh, comes out of Vegas. And the schedule doesn't help them, Rich. This is not, this is not, a, this is not a schedule for the faint of heart, especially with a second-year quarterback. And as you mentioned, they're going to rely on the run game and I guess the short passing game with the tight ends that they brought in. Yeah, well, they, you know, this is going to be a run-oriented offense, and they, they tried to be a run-oriented offense last year. It's just that the offensive line was so bad that, you know, they really couldn't block the runs. So, I think that line will be better. I just mentioned Lake and Tomlinson. I think he's a key acquisition. I think he's going to help their run blocking immensely. And uh, and you mentioned the schedule, Larry. It is tough. Uh, I'm looking at it from Zach Wilson's point of view. I mean, you open against Baltimore, you're going to see a lot of man, to, a lot of pressure, a lot of man-to-man coverage. Then they play uh, a couple of weeks later. They play Pittsburgh. I mean, Pittsburgh, great pass rush with Watt. And then, of course, would make up Fitzpatrick, who's like a ball magnet in the secondary. So this, I think, for Zach Wilson in particular, it's going to be a very. And then you go to Cleveland in week two. Now, granted, they're probably not going to have Deshaun Watson, but it's they got Miles Garrett. He's pretty good. So uh, who's going to be blocking Miles Garrett? Is it going to be Makai Becton, George Fant? Uh, and that's uh, yeah. So it is a very very difficult schedule for the first half of the year. I think it softens up for the second half of the year, though. So, Rich, let me let me let me ask you this before I give it back to Gordon. Uh, 
with this idea of the offensive line and the defensive line, we always talk about you win in the trenches. Rich, is there is there enough improvement here with Lawson? It, can you expect anything from him? Quinton Williams, I thought, had a solid year last year. Can some of these people take that next step on both on both sides of the line to, you know, at least be in some of these games? Because as as we just talked about, you know, this team never gets off to, to an early start where they get some wins and get some confidence. But even if they're in some games, that may have to be, you know, the early thing if they don't win. Yeah, you make a great point, Larry, because, like, within the context of a game, we never really get – the way their defense is structured, Robert Sala's defense and Jeff Ulbrich, it's a 4-3 defense. It's all predicated on getting to the passer. And if you're playing from behind by two or three touchdowns in the second half, well, obviously you're not going to have a lot of opportunities to rush the passer. Teams are just going to pound the ball on you and run the ball, and that is really not the way this defense is built. They don't have 320-pound nose tackle run stuffers. I mean, they did fully Fadakasi, but he left in free agency. They never really replaced him. So that's not the way the Jets want to be playing football. They want to be playing football in the second half of games where it's a close game within one possession or in the lead where they can just use that front four like a Carl Lawson, who I think from, from everything I've been told is in phenomenal shape. And once he gets off this pup list, which I don't think will be too long, I expect him to have a good year. I think Quinn and Williams should have a good year because the guy next to him, Carl Lawson, I think, could have a good year. So I think they'll feed off of each other. And uh, they have to give that defense a chance. Last year, the offense was just in so many bad situations. The team was in so many bad situations that the defense never really got a chance to play. Rich, it was not that long ago we were talking about uh, Sam Darnold having a strong close to his rookie campaign and hopefully that, that well, he would be able to build on that moving forward. That didn't happen, obviously. How confident are you that Sam, uh, that uh, Zach Wilson will be able to do that here coming into year two? Um, that's a good question, Gordon. Uh, Sam Darnold's finish to his rookie year was much more encouraging than Zach Wilson's finish last year, statistically. I mean, Sam had some really good games. I mean, he was going toe-to-toe with uh, Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers in those two home games, and there was legitimate belief that, you know, he could develop into something special. Obviously, that did not happen. Sam's career has has really gone south since then. Uh, Zach showed improvement last year toward the end of the ball in in terms of the end of the year, in terms of turnovers. He really cut down on the turnovers, no interceptions over the last five games. I believe he and Aaron Rodgers who were the only quarterbacks in the league to do that over the last five games. So that's encouraging. Uh, he learned how to protect the football. So that's number one for a quarterback. But number two, he's got to put points on the board. And that really didn't happen over the last five games. Uh, you want to see him get a higher completion percentage. I think he was at 54 last year or 53. That is way too low for an NFL quarterback. He's got to be better, at more accurate. Now, he did have a, a skeleton crew toward the end of last year. I mean, I think Braxton Berrios was the only receiver that he had left. They were playing a bunch of backups because of the injuries. And so he'll have a better supporting cast. I think he'll be more comfortable in the scheme. And he's just going to have to play a lot better than he did at the end of last year if the Jets want to be competitive this year. Last thing, Rich, and it's something that I, I joke about a lot, and it's not real funny, <laughs> but I joke about it. And that is the inconsistency of special teams for this Jet team. Kick, field goal kicker and punter. Uh, Berrios was outstanding last year, returning punts and, and, you know, and kickoffs. Rich, is this the year that they have a great field goal kicker and punter on this team? Well, let's not go too far, Larry. We got, <laughs> uh, gonna keep, I, I mean, it's almost... You know, and I like you said, I don't want to make make it a, into a comedy, but I mean, they've gone through musical. It's been musical kickers since uh, you know Myers left. You know, they let Myers leave a few years ago in free agency because it was a few hundred thousand dollars difference in the, in the offers, and he goes to Seattle, and, and of course he becomes an All Pro his first year in Seattle. And the Jets have been just cycling through kickers. I can't even. They've gone. I think it's six or seven different kickers over the last three years. Uh, Remember, I mean, guys like Vedvik, and last year they had the guy's name who came in for one game and, and he choked his brains out. I can't even remember his name last year. And so this year, you know, they have Pinero, 
who actually did some nice things at the end of the year, and they have Zerline, who's you know who's been a, a kicker in the league, a, you know actually a, a very good kicker at one point. He didn't have a good year last year, but the Jets are hoping that that was a blip and that he can rebound. So we have the annual kicking battle. So we'll be out there in training camp, charting kicks, tweeting out the results like we usually do, and uh, they'll pick one of those guys. I, I have to say they'd probably lean towards the veteran at this point, but I mean, who knows? <laughs> it's just been one of those <laughs> revolving doors that they just have to figure out. And then they go and they, and, and Nick Falk just buries them up in New England. <laughs> All right. That's the other side of the story. I didn't even mention Nick Falk, who they threw out a few years ago, uh, who had a wonderful career with the Jets and, and had one bad year because he had a bad, I think it was a bad back or something and, you know, goes to New England and, He's been amazing since then. You know, his accuracy has been dynamite. And so, yeah, it's just uh, part of this uh, never-ending soap opera that is the Jets' place-kicking situation. Well, it opens. It happens on Wednesday, and Rich Samini will be there. You can follow him on Twitter and, of course, online here, and, the, and he'll be on all the shows as well. Rich, uh, I know the flight deck will be fired up as well, so have fun. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, guys. Have a good night. Thanks, Rich. 1-800-919-3776. Your calls are next on 98.7 ESPN. I guess if you were a Jet fan, you probably feel... Uh, <laughs> like uh, you, 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 You've got a, a schedule that starts out rough. We ran through it last night. And you need to get off to a quick start. What does most of the Jet fans say? We've got to win some games in September. We've got to win... I don't know that you're going to win many games in September, Gordon. If you win one or two, that that might be well. That's fine, it. right? I mean, you just can't go zero and four. I mean, you can't you can't lose the first four games. You have to find a way at some point to win some games. And if they go zero and four, then yeah, the, the the feeling is going to be all right. Here we go again because this is what we've become accustomed to with the Jets. I mean, how many how many we talk about this playoff drought? How many of these years have the Jets finished in last place during the? It's not even a been lot. like they've been close. No, it's not even been that. I think that they've finished in last place like the last five years. It feels like so it longer. Yeah, uh, it, 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 until you start winning some games, until you start to show that you can do it, nobody's going to believe in you. And I think the Jets are more talented than they've been. I don't know if I agree with everybody that they, you know, killed the draft and the draft. Oh my God, this draft is amazing. But I think that they probably got some some foundational pieces. They're picking very high in the draft. Let's hope so. But well, I, I think that there's some reason for optimism. It, it's amazing for them. <laughs> That's the way it's been. It's, it's, it's been amazing for them. So, once again, it doesn't matter. You have to wait. It's not only that you drafted them. It's how you coach them up. Yeah. And see, that's the other part of it, Gordon. I don't know that a lot of these guys have been coached that well because either they haven't been coached well or they're not that good, and maybe some of them aren't that good because a lot of them aren't in the league. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I we'll see. I mean, it, it's got to be better than it was. Uh, even be. if even if they're even if it doesn't translate to wins and losses, mm-hmm. they should have some players that you are excited to watch. Yes, like they really were. You know, the last couple of years, out, Zach last year, you were excited to see him, but uh, he was kind of overwhelmed to start the season. Mm-hmm. But outside of him, there really hasn't been much. Uh, of exciting players to watch. So if it's Sauce Gardner, if it's the receiver they drafted, if it's seeing Carl Lawson back from the injury, if Quinton Williams can take a step forward, Zach Wilson, the running backs, there should be some players here, even if it doesn't translate perfectly into wins and losses, um, that at least you can be, you can kind of, you want to be sold hope at this point, I think, if you're a Jet fan. And if those players show you some signs of that hope, then you might be able to believe that, you know what, things aren't, that the worst of it is over and, and maybe things are getting closer to a turnaround. No doubt about that. And, and the other side of it, Gordon, is a lot of the hope was snatched away from this team in, in the preseason with injuries. I mean, you were expecting Carl Lawson to do something. You were expecting Mekhi Becton to, to be able, you want to see what he was going to be able to do to protect the your, your rookie quarterback. And you lost him in, in the preseason. So, you know, as we talked last night with, with Jordan, Gordon, health is so important. Pe- people don't realize how important health is uh, in the National Football League, especially early. Yeah, and it always seems like the teams that um, are bad have more injuries. Now, that might be a little chicken and the egg, right? Like, if you're if you're coming back from injury and the team is bad, are you rushing back <laughs> to get back <laughs> to go run into a wall? 
I don't know. I don't. I would not think so. But no. and and I thought that Rich had a good number. You know, seven and ten for the Jets. I think that's a fair estimation because think about it. If they were to win five games, then in the first two years of Robert Sala, they would have won the exact same amount of games as Adam Gase, and they would have had an extra game per season. Right. So yeah, you got you got to be able to win six seven games this year, and that puts. Everybody on the hot seat. Oh, absolutely. It puts everybody on the hot seat. And the only way that you would not say that you give Salah a break is because his first year he has a rookie quarterback. Otherwise, he's all, he would be on the hot seat too. Oh, I, I, look, if they, if they somehow win five games this year, I think everybody's on the hot seat. I mean, I think the quarterback's on the hot seat. I think the coach is on the hot seat. I think the GM's on the hot seat. I mean – Again, remember, I'm sure that he had approval when he was away in, in England, but mm -hmm. these are not the hires of, of Woody Johnson. This no. was Christopher Johnson that hired. So yeah. Yeah. that could play into it. It could. It definitely could. No question about it. Let's go back to the phones. Ray's in Brooklyn. What's up, Ray? Hey, what's up, Larry? What's up, Gordon? How are you, gentlemen? Ray, what's going on, pal? Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad you guys took my call. Um, Well, uh, I just want to say this. Gordon, I respectfully yet vehemently disagree with a couple of your opinions. Um, I think some of your like your, your opinions are a little bit contradictory, and I'll explain okay. why. Um, but I also disagree on some of them as well. So um, Larry brought up the, the fact that Donaldson, you know, we probably should be down on him too. Uh, you semi came to his defense and said, well, at least he's been league average. Listen, for $25, $26 million a year, we don't need league average. Um, you know, I know if you want to say in comparison to, to Gallo, I mean, if that's the case, then I'm not sure why Don are kind of falafel because he's been pretty decent. I actually have no, he's a been lot more confidence. But hold on, though. But I, I, okay, perhaps, right? But when he's up, I feel exponentially more confident that he's going to be able, in terms of situational hitting, He's probably the guy I want up there, which is why I disagree with you on the fact that we need to get a power bat in the outfield. We don't. That's why we're losing games because everybody's all or nothing. No, they're ben, not. Ben Ray, they're not. They're not all or nothing. The only hitter that the well, Yankees I'll, really have that is all or nothing is is Giancarlo Stanton. That's the only guy. But, is Aaron Judge okay, all or so, nothing? No, of course not. Judge is okay. He's is, the best is, player is, on the is, is Glaber Torres all or nothing? Well, so a lot of the times, a large majority of the times, he swings like it. His numbers, his average is going up, which is great. That's what I want to see. But a lot of times, he swings like it. And that's the issue. Donaldson they don't have an all-or-nothing type team. We were all in agreement that they have found different ways to score runs this year, that they're not as reliant on the home run, even though they lead the league in home runs. Everybody who leads the league in home runs is doing pretty well. The Astros are third in home runs. They're doing pretty well. The Braves are second in home runs. They're doing pretty well. The Yankees are first in home runs. They're doing pretty well. So, yeah, you uh, always no, want to have some power. The but, but, Gordon, that's always the case. Every single season in the last handful of years, you can always count down the right. final So then why wouldn't I want to add another power bat? But we already have that. Don't you think we need somebody that's good situationally to move the runners over? Who Generally, if you're a good, like, if you're a good, if you are a good hitter overall, you're good situationally. Like, get me a good hitter. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I want game. somebody that's just going to hit 50 home runs and hit 220. Thanks, I don't want Joey Gallo. Um, yeah, I want somebody who's a good all-around hitter, but I do want somebody that has more power than Andrew Benatendi, and that's where that comment came from. And, and look, just to be fair. Donaldson's been bad too. He's been below average. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that in the second half he might kind of catch some fire. But if, if you're asking me if I could replace Donaldson, I probably would. But I don't see that happening considering his contract and, and the other needs of the team. I don't think the Yankees are going to go land a third baseman. That would be harder to find than going finding a, 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 an outfielder who can also DH who can hit the ball. Answers with Aaron next on 98.7 ESPN. It's time for a painful trip to Minute Maid Park. Is there any other kind, Larry? Not for the Yankees. It really no, isn't. It doesn't feel like it that. It really isn't. It is to the Yankees what Atlanta is to the Mets. <laughs> it's a house of horrors. House of, yeah. horrors. House of pain. It really, is. it really is. It really, really is. Of course, we'll have an answers with Aaron. Is um, I'm very curious to see how 
Gordon Damon is going to try to tap into the Yankee skipper tonight. But Oof. it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But we begin with Aaron Boone. And Aaron Boone was asked about Domingo Herman. It was his first outing. And the Yankee skipper was asked, what did you see from Domingo? Yeah, I saw some good in there, just but then some mistakes, you know. Um, you know, didn't want to go there uh, with with Alvarez the first time with two strikes. Um, you know, didn't have any bite, hanging breaking ball to Pena that set him up for that the second big big run there where Alvarez drove those guys in. So, um, you know, flash some good breaking balls, flash some good changeups. Probably not enough separation on on the changeup that uh, Bregman hit out. Um, um, but but some good in there. But just you know, you know when when Domingo's at his best, he really can command all three of those. And that was just you know a little in and out today. Now, Tyon was could have made the start. They decided to give him an extra day to start him in the series against Baltimore. So, Tyon Herman, the question has to be asked. Any second thoughts of going with Herman instead of Tyone? Just because, you know. No, 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 no. All right, so, Gordon, do you have any second? Uh, obviously, creature of the moment. Right, I mean, the fact that if I knew that Herman was going to get knocked around, yeah, but, I mean, we've seen Tyone get knocked around plenty here as well. So, I, I, I would say no. No, okay. So, listen, you, you rolled the dice, and it just looks bad because you lost the first game, right, Gordon? If you win the first game. Absolutely. You know, it feels it's, it's a little completely different. different. Yep. No question about it. Siren Boone, what's the biggest takeaway you have of your team over the last three weeks? Just haven't pushed it over the finish line. You know, I mean, we've we've been maybe with the exception of one or two games, and maybe not even two, where it's kind of come down to the wire. We've had a chance to win some games that we've been winning all year that maybe we haven't won. Um, it's a long season. It's not going to be perfect. Um, hope you guys didn't think it was going to be perfect. I certainly didn't. Um, but we'll be fine, and we'll uh, look forward to, to getting out there tomorrow, hopefully get in a decent hour and get after it. All right, well, speaking of tomorrow, Gordon, let's talk about the Orioles, who have been a very hot team playing over 500 the last two months. Skipper, what do you expect? You know, we all kind of quietly knew they were getting better when we saw them early a lot this year. You know, we, we played pretty well against them early, but right away we're like, you know, their pitching's real. You know, they got guys in the pen now. Their starters have given them quality outings. We're seeing some people really emerge uh, within their <clears throat> everyday players as like, you know, guys that you feel like are going to be there a while as central figures in what they're doing. So, um Honestly, it's not that big a surprise to me that they're playing well because, um, um, you know, they got good players and they can they can pitch now with people. It's going to be interesting, Gordon. I mean, this is a team that previously people used as a measuring stick for the Yankees. Oh, you got to go beat Baltimore. Yeah. Might oh, not be so you easy lose, this lose time, right? The Orioles. Oh, my God. It was <laughs> you can't beat the Orioles. But it's like that whenever any game they lose, it's like it's like the sky is always falling. It's always the worst case scenario. Like, the Yankees have not shown the ability to beat the Astros. But then all of a sudden, well, this team, they've proven nothing. They can't beat anybody good. They have, like, the best record against all the playoff teams this year. Mm-hmm. Like, of all the teams that are scheduled, are, are, are tracking to make the playoffs, they have the best record in baseball. So let's not jump to conclusions by saying, hey, you know what? We didn't beat the Astros. We can't beat anybody. That's the problem I have. I got you. I understand that. Ooh, the Astros are a very good team. You know. Right. They're the they're, they're really the guy, they're, they're the mountain you got to climb. That's the mountain everybody's got to climb. That's why it's so frustrating when you find out that they cheated because they're really good. They don't need to cheat. Yeah. They really are. All right. I think now is a good time, Snake, for... Answers with Aaron. All right. This is where, as you know, Gordon Damer goes into the mine and tries to dig out what Aaron Boone is thinking. Here's your first one. We got two for you tonight, Gordon. Let's do it. First one, given the history with the Astros, how do you change the narrative? Well, you change the narrative. You got to go win some games. We didn't win games here, uh, so that's not going to change the narrative. You got to win in October to change the narrative. You got to win when you face the Astros. We've not shown that we can consistently beat them. I have confidence that we can. I believe that we will. But uh, you can't change the narrative unless you, you go win some games, I would think. 
Aaron Boone, given the history with the Astros, how do you change the narrative? Not going to change, Dan, until you beat them in the playoffs if, if that day comes. I mean, we beat them four out of six last year, and they didn't hold leads. Where'd that get us? It, I understand it's a big story. I understand the season we're in. It, it, it's not going to matter unless October. So we're going to, if we, if we happen to come back here in October, we're going to show up. We're going to expect to win. We think we're really good. They're really good. Don't overstate this. A little edge to the Yankee Ooh, skipper tonight. A little edge Gordon. to the Yankee skipper. And you know what? Um, we shall see. Um, you know, as I said, this is about um, showing that you can beat everybody, not just the Astros, but that's the main goal. And I, I felt like during the game tonight, Aaron Boone has this, like, um, stress line in his forehead, and I yeah. felt like that stress line was much more stressed in this game. So... You know, Aaron, he does an amazing job of never losing his cool. He's never, he never loses control. But yeah, a little edge there. Yeah. Hmm. That, 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 that stress line was pronounced. Pronounced. This evening. <laughs> Here's your next one, Gordon. All right. Fabulous job on the first one. That, yeah, it's, I thought it was pretty good. I thought no, it was I thought pretty it was good. Really Back on the horse. Yep. Absolutely. Here, here's the next one. How can these games help you if you face the Strolls in October? How can these games help you if you face Houston in October? Um, hmm. How can these games help you? Well, we know that. I, yeah, I, I think I think he's going to go back to something along the lines of we know how we match up against these teams. You know, they're a very good team. We're a very good team. I believe that we, if we play at our, he'll go to the the old. If we play our best, we can beat anybody. So that's, you know, getting to a chance to match up against these guys and see them on the field, that gives us some experience for if that matchup in October ever takes place, we know we can beat them. Aaron Boone, how can these games help you if you face the Astros in October? Hopefully just more experience of playing against their guys. Obviously, we're familiar with a lot of them. You know, our hitters obviously getting a, a lot of looks at, at not only guys in the rotation, but the bullpen. You know, hopefully you learn and grow from those and, and gain experience from that and, and are able to apply it in, in big spots. So, um, look, that, that's going to that's be a formidable team to beat. Um, if it comes to that, we'll look forward to it. Gordon, you're batting 1,000, my friend. Yeah, Hall that of wasn't too bad. Again. I, I, you know, he, he went to a lot of standbys tonight. You know, he wasn't yeah. letting his real feelings out. Earlier well, this year, he's been able to let his real feelings out. Tonight, he went to a lot of the, the canned responses. Yeah, but not that other one. He had, he had a little, a yeah, little mistake. Yeah, yeah, put a little stank on that one. Ooh. Man, that's good. interesting. What? Yeah, exactly. And, of course, the Mets return to start their second half tomorrow night, hosting a weekend series with the San Diego Padres at City Field. You, Darvish. And Max Scherzer, and of course, maybe more news on that other ace that they've got over there. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN.